Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thanks for selling me down the fucking river with, uh, with uh, fucking Mario Goetze. It's Monday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Weekend Review with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Hello. Statman Dave. All right. I thought you'd be more cheerful, Dave. You just won the League Cup, mate. Come on. I know, but I've had a really, really bad day. He's had a bad day. Right? It's been a bad day. Do you want to talk about it? Your max broke, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I need to vent. I'm, you know, I've vented already. I need to vent some more. Give us a so, classic Dave run. Come on. Yeah, like, it was just over the weekend. And I was just... Um, Turn my laptop on like Saturday evening. It's not turning on. I was like, yeah, maybe it's just not out of battery. Um, turned it on on Sunday, still not working, um, and it's broken. So today I pretty much spent the whole day trying to get it fixed, then trying to find a laptop in London, and then just rolling around. I went up to Finchley. If you don't know London, Finchley's oh. like north, north London. It takes like half an hour to get there on the tube. I had to go there, then I had to go back. And I had like an hour to do it. And I had to pretty much sprint to go to a shoot with Turkish TV. It was just a terrible day all round. But you do get paid a fuck ton to go on Turkish TV. So overall... <laughs> yeah, that, overall... That Turkish dollar, Dave, though. Um, take that dollar. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> what, sure what do they have? What is their currency? Chris Hennish is here as well. Chris, how you doing? Yeah, fine. I haven't had anything bad happen to me. Yeah, so. You had a good day, did you? Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Did uh, you see the Spurs youth play? So. <laughs> We'll come on to that. We will come on to that. Guys, thanks so much for listening. We are going to be talking about Leicester smashing Liverpool. The League Cup final, of course, Dave was there. Harry Kane, the hero for Spurs, uh, as well as all the European action. And, of course, the player of the week, as always. First, we do have to talk about Leicester free. Liverpool won a lot of narratives to unpick from this one. You know, a lot of people asking, where was this performance two weeks ago when Claudio Ranieri was still at the club? I mean, Chris, a lot of debate about whether this is embarrassing for the for the Leicester players to put in a performance of that level, or is it more an indictment of Ranieri for failing to get a performance like that out of his team previously? It's all about perspective, isn't it? Because you could argue that the, there is a complacency that has been fostered with, with Ranieri's time there, and that's what's ultimately caused them to, to perform at such a low level they're not motivated and I think look it's very easy to then digress into a rant about modern players and and how terrible it is they're so easily influenced etc etc 
I think Jeff Shreve's made a valid point in asking Vardy and, and uh, drink water afterwards. You know, you, you were kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't tonight. Because if you didn't win, then Ranieri was needlessly sacked in the eyes of some. If you do, then you are very much throwing him under the bus. I, I thought, I thought honestly, there, there's this new manager bounce, and it's sometimes referred to as a dead cat bounce because it's a little bit misleading. Um, and, and I think looking at this... Yes, I mean, there were some important stats like Vardy ran more, which sounds like a, a very uh, stupid stat in isolation. But it does show that he's putting more effort in. But he also talked about the fact that Shakespeare told him to play further up. Um, so you've got to think that realistically, there is a, a very subtle mixture of a lot of different moving parts here that all come together for that one moment. I mean... Davis, uh, a bunch of millionaires getting a good man sacked, isn't it? A man who, who made yeah, them terrible. what they are. Terrible. Now they start playing. Um, it's a problem with the world, isn't it? Surely it's not that not, black and bothered. white, though. It's not that black and white, Dave, surely. Rather thinking about their TV deals, aren't they? If they're going to get into whatever the paper, you know, magazine that people read these days or whatever, will, it, all that rubbish. I will admit there was something I didn't like about seeing Cashmish Michael's celebration for the second goal. Danny Drinkwater's uh, pretty spectacular hit. Uh, yeah. You'd think he'd won the league again, the way he celebrated. Mm. There's some bad eggs in that camp, I think, and they've kind of shown that in a way that when the good's good, they're fine, but when it starts to get a bit tough, they'll point fingers and they'll blame Claudio Ranieri for everything. You know, there is there is issues with, with Leicester City this season. In a tactical sense, yeah, he didn't move the side on. He lost to Key Cog and he's not really a place. Like, yeah, no, there, there's, there is reason to sack him. But not because he's, you know, because he's won the league, he deserves a lot more time than if it was a manager that was hovering around mid-table. If Leicester City had battled relegation last season and they were performing this badly this year, I'd, I could understand why they sacked him. But because of the peak of last year, it's got to be a little bit more than just Ranieri and his tactics and, and his management. You know, there's something deeper there that will probably all come out. You know, we've heard some weird, something, something that you pointed out, wasn't it, Chris, on, um, on one of the interviews that he did? Again, it was Jeff Street, actually, so he deserves a bit of credit. Um, he chose his words very carefully. Now, I've, I've done some media training with players and, and helped them for stuff like that. And again, it's it's something that, that is called pivoting, where you don't necessarily address what's being said, but you take maybe a word or a phrase or even a sentiment and then pivot away from it. So in this case, he was asked, you know, was there this players meeting? How true is this? And Schmeichel kept reiterating, we have no influence over the decisions of who is manager at this football club. Now, of course, anyone listening is keen to, to point out that isn't the question. The question isn't, do you have influence? The question is, was there a players meeting? And did you at least perhaps instigate the idea of him being sacked and, and ask for his sacking? So again, I, th I think it was a little bit disingenuous of Schmeichel to do that. I mean, I don't think many of these players have, have had this kind of pressure before. So it's a different scenario for them. But yeah, I think in a bizarre, almost oxymoronic way, he said a lot without saying much. And similar to him not saying anything to defend the manager surely, two weeks ago. Yeah. Surely, Dave, though, the, as I said, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. It's not just black and white. I mean, Shakespeare uh, seems to be cast as Brutus to, to Ranieri Caesar almost by by most people. Um, yeah, I, 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 did, I did do Shakespeare at GCSE. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's not. It's not quite as simple as that. Ranieri's job was to motivate the players uh, and to get this level of performance out of them. And when you see this game, it's hard to to question why he wasn't able to do that. 
But tactically, they're set up exactly how they've been set up all season. There's the same but that's thing. Exactly there's there's more back, to they, a they managerial defended, role than tactics. They, they counter-attacked into the channels. And, and yeah, it's not as black and white, but I just think there's a massive responsibility on some of these players. They should be, you know, Claudio Ranieri apparently donated what 1.5 million out of his 3 million um, package from Leicester City to charity. Some of these players should donate some money to charity. They need to do some good things again because it seems like they are they're, they're not doing the right things at the moment. If they're pulling out a level of performance there against the Liverpool team that destroyed Spurs in their last game. I mean, uh, overwhelmingly, that uh, seems to be the prevailing opinion, Lawrence. But um, surely it's too simplistic. Well, um, I think you can probably go either way, to be honest. Um, the problem is that people... We've, we've spoken, I think we spoke about this from day one on the podcast People want to see either one narrative or the other. They want to see one storyline or the other. And very often they want their, uh, or they're, they're trained mentally to work out whether a journalist is right or wrong. And I think very often there are gray areas like this. Um, and very few people um, decide to write it uh, somewhere gray because sometimes you're told to take copy back or you're sort of tweeted, don't be this way or don't be that way. I think it's somewhere in the middle, if I'm quite honest. I think Dave's right. I also think there are a lot of people out there who are right to completely take up the opposite as well. It's about the perspective of the club. The fact is that if they had have hung on to Ranieri, then they would have been accused of sentimentality. Um, and I think it is it is weird that the players suddenly perform afterwards. But there's also... I can't say I didn't expect it because... If you look at the way that um, the players were reacting to Ranieri, if you look at the part, his past record, if you look at the way that he's also at times lost dressing rooms in the past, then this shouldn't really come as any surprise. And I'm wondering why people are acting so surprised now. Um, it seems to be an almost uniquely British thing to moralise in such a way. What about the narratives surrounding Liverpool then? After this one, uh, consistently oh, inconsistent. Talking about narratives for a minute, uh, but there, uh, there's so many coming out of this game. It's, it's impossible to ignore. I don't think there's anything new. I think it, it, we go back to Liverpool in early January, mid January, late January, and we look at the problems, and you can pretty much identify all the same. I mean, I spoke about it on, on the podcast being careful after the Spurs one, being careful with the break. <laughs> um, I think Nico Morales, who's appeared on the podcast, um. Has, has written an article himself about the issues. I, I, to be honest, I don't know what else there's to say. It's poor defence at Liverpool's back line. It doesn't seem like they're being coached in any particular way. Clop out, yeah? Oh, just <laughs> uh, patience. It's, it's, again, it's sort of a grey area for Liverpool. Uh, the first two seasons uh, that Klopp was at Dortmund finished, I think, fifth and fourth. Mm. Let's see what he gets. I mean, uh, Chris, what did you make of, of what you saw at Liverpool tonight? It is one league win in seven in 2017 for them, uh, once again losing to a bottom half side. That's the fifth defeat to a team in the bottom half of the table this season. I, th I think, you know, you're going to look at this and say Mane has a huge influence. I think he does, and I've talked about this before, because to me he's a little bit like Suarez. He can he can do something by himself. He doesn't always need teammates to, to work around him. He's got that sort of X factor, if you will. I think, look, the squad wasn't ideal today in terms of its makeup. You're missing essentially centre backs at, at that point, and then maybe you question if, if Sarko should still be there. Jordan I, Henderson I as well, just, a big miss. Yeah, he's a big miss, of course. I, I just wonder if there needs to be a little bit more 
preening with this squad almost a little bit more I, I think it's it's at its final form and this is one of maybe the age-old questions about football in terms of how long do you give a coach to, to get their squad perfect um, because at, at this point you know say it's another 12 months something like that you're looking a little bit longer closer to three years by that stage or th- almost three full seasons but I do just think looking at the squad as it stands now I don't think if you ask Klopp off the record if he was delighted with with the makeup of it he would say yes I think he still has a lot more pieces he wants to move on and a lot more of his players if you will in inverted commas unquestionably uh, that is the case Lawrence but playing Lucas against Vardy was always a recipe for disaster now he seemed to switch it to a back three in that second half to try and claw the game back moving Emery Chan into that back line but the game had already gone uh yeah that was part of the problem I I don't I don't think they reacted fast enough I also thought they thought this would be uh, a much easier walk in the park the players didn't seem to have the intensity that they did against Spurs again still it's on the, the same beach, they were still on the beach uh, I don't think I know if they were still on the beach. I just sort of think <sighs> I, Liverpool. Whenever Liverpool sound off about something, whenever they have players in the press saying, "You know, we're going to be more intense. Watch out in the top four, it backfires." I think Liverpool need to be a more respectful side. I think they need to go back to uh, what they're good at, which is being quiet and doing things and trying to keep things in house. And sometimes the media suck these things out of them. Uh, or they, they offer them too readily. Um, and I think they skip steps when they get to that point. And that's what disappoints me. I mean, uh, Manchester United fans rubbing their hands together at this result, Lawrence. If they do beat Bournemouth next weekend, they will finally climb above Liverpool out of sixth place. Uh, Liverpool themselves got Arsenal next, then Burnley, then Man City away uh, at the end of March before the Merseyside derby at Anfield at the start of April. Uh, it feels like make or break time for Liverpool. Do you think the top four hopes are slipping away now? I don't know if they're slipping away. I think, you know, that Liverpool are very still uh, still very much in the race. I think it's uh, totally down to the way that they tactically work out how to play uh, sides lower down in the table. And I don't think it was beyond Liverpool. I think Liverpool, Liverpool and Klopp will be disappointed by losing to Leicester because they will feel there was a, something there to take advantage of uh, and they didn't. And again, it goes back to Klopp's um, psychology around this one and how he ends up framing it. But it will be... It will be tricky for him to keep reframing if he continues in this vein. Mm, the pressure will will be on, uh, especially if that Arsenal game doesn't go Liverpool's way. Um, Dave, you had a bad day today. Yesterday, a little bit better, I think it's fair to say. Mm. Manchester United, League Cup winners, a 3-2 win over Southampton. A fantastic cup final by all accounts. Manchester United and Zlatan, the champions, but... Southampton the better team, Dave? Um, yes and no. I think United defended quite well in that first half. I thought they were good up until the goal. I think, you know, the first stop, the, the offside for the, the Gabbiadini goal that's, you know, everyone's crying about. I think this is the problem with the rule that it's not black <laughs> and white anymore, that it's up to interpretation. And quite frankly, right, you, you look at the other side of it, it's been argued massively that it's the wrong guy that's offside and so forth, blah, blah, blah. What about that guy that's standing offside? He's surely taking some sort of, you know, the, the United centre-halves are taking some notice that this guy is there. They're taking some of the attention off the centre-backs. Maybe it's a it's a split second, maybe it's something small. But it's the issue with the law right now that it's, it's so 
unclear round actually what is offside and what is for me you've got to go back I've said it before on this podcast we've got to go back to a line and if you are behind the line no matter whether you're involved in the play not in the full play you're offside and just simple make it more simple because that linesman has been caught out um, which has made potentially a mockery of a, of a cup final and so forth but United did well they defended well they broke quite well I was very impressed with Jess Lingard at number 10 in the first half I thought he did you know he took his goal very well but Overall, his link-up play was pretty decent, but he really drifted out of the game when he was moved and United switched their system. And it was a bit of a dodgy call from Mourinho, let Southampton back into the game. But Zlatan is, is the hero once again. That's the thing. It doesn't matter how you play. If you've got Zlatan on your team, uh, four League Cups now for Jose Mourinho, 19 major trophies uh, for the Manchester United manager. 32. Manchester United only have five League Cups. Yeah, there you go. Mourinho himself has <laughs> almost matched it. Um, Zlatan, I couldn't believe the stat that um, Zlatan's won 32 major honours. Uh, mm. How many have Manchester United won? Am I right in saying it's 40... 42 now. 42? Yeah, yeah. one more than Liverpool. Yeah, oh, yeah one more than Liverpool, Adam. Yeah, yeah uh, they, were, they were forced into an embarrassing, uh, well, depending on your viewpoint, uh, social media climb down. They had to uh, change their Twitter bio. That's the modern game for you. But uh, Zlatan, only 10 less trophies than the club he plays for, uh, funnily enough. Uh, stealing the headlines, as you said, Dave, I mean, we're all shocked at how good he is. I mean, yeah, I mean no one shocked. could have predicted this no. whatsoever. Nobody. Absolutely nobody. The craziest thing that they worked out today Zlatan has scored a third of United's goals in all competitions this season. So one in three goals United have scored, Zlatan has scored them. Which again makes me a little bit over-reliant on Zlatan. But what it kind of brings my memory back to is 2003-2004. United versus Millwall in the FA Cup final. A team consisting of Wayne Rooney, Cristiano Ronaldo. But the main man was Ruud van Nistelrooy. And I reckon if I went back and I looked, Ruud van Nistelrooy probably had the same goal-scoring record as Zlatan this season, where literally he probably scored one in three goals. Um, you know, one of only, I think it's only about four or five, six, seven, eight, nine United players that have scored over 30 goals in a seed. And Ruvan Nistelrooy did it a few times. But it's similar to Ruvan Nistelrooy was so ruthless, such a, a competitor. Him and Gary Neville um, allegedly don't like each other uh, because of how mm. ruthless Ruud was. You know, play a bad ball up to Ruvan Nistelrooy, Kenya. But that was good for those young players around. And the similar things happening to these Manchester United players. You look at players like Rashford, Martial, Paul Pogba. You know, the, 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 the quotes uh, after the game from the two players, the, the Pogba, Zlatan quotes that are doing the rounds at the moment, it's quite interesting how it's sort of like Zlatan's pushing back to Pogba that, you know, we, that United bought you. You know, do you need to turn up more? Because quite frankly, Paul, Paul Pogba was quite poor in the game. You know, didn't do a lot, didn't really get on the ball. He did too many fancy the league flicks, up, too many fancy mean. tricks, but his overall play wasn't good enough. It was one of those games, I, met, I said last time, um, how I like Paul Pogba when, when he's unnoticed, when he just gets through his job, he keeps the ball moving, tactically he's very good. It wasn't one of those games against Southampton. It was too much camera focused on him, too much that he wants to try and unlock the defence and do so forth when sometimes the simple pass is on. United really lacks someone to control the tempo, to slow it down and just move the ball quickly or move the ball slowly, dependent on the situation. And that's what Paul Pogba should have done in the game and unfortunately didn't. But yeah, it's... It's an interesting one how Zlatan is similar to this Ruud van Nistelrooy character from sort of 2003. Mm, I mean, uh, Chris, some saying, oh, it's just a League Cup. You know, at the end of the day, though, Manchester United, now Jose Mourinho is the first manager, Red Devils manager, to win silver in his first season. I mean, uh, do you view it as, you know, as some Manchester United fans are, the new era of trophy-laden success begins, you know, the FA Cup's coming as well, the Europa League's coming, as Dave said, that trouble's on the cards. Or, you know, is it just a, is it just a League Cup? 
I don't think it's just a League Cup. I think <clears throat> if you talk to to Spurs fans or Liverpool fans, they would would probably have taken that trophy this season for for very different reasons. In the case of Klopp, it does as as we I think applies to Man United. I established that winning sort of mentality, that idea that you're a successful club. And I think that was very evident in the fact that maybe Mourinho didn't celebrate as much as he has other trophies. I think in terms of Spurs, it's it's the idea of Pochettino winning his first trophy. So I don't think you can ever diminish the, the importance of collecting a trophy. Um, even the charity shield does serve a purpose at some point in terms of Again, having that moment of lifting it and and the I thought I think the feeling it inspires in the in the players or the feeling it should inspire more importantly and so yeah I, I think it would be unfair to to diminish it and say that it's not an important moment for for this Man United team and it's in its long term project. Dave, Zlatan's contract does expire at the end of the season. Mourinho came out after the game and and talked about how he won't beg for Zlatan to stay, even though he believes he will stay at the club. Do you think the Swede will be at Manchester United next season, or is this as good as yet? You know, he's proved his doubters wrong, and uh, maybe should leave it one campaign. You mean you mean he's proved you wrong, Adam? Well, you were the not doubters. Yet, mate. You not were yet. part of the doubters. Not yet. What did I say? Twenty league goals. He hasn't scored them, mate. Do you know what I mean? So, he's close. He's jury's, close. Jury's You're out sweating. for me, mate. Jury's out. The girlfriend's mad. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I think um, I think in terms of you know Napoli's been linked uh, over there. Go back to Syria, score some more goals. It's one of those things where I think Ruud van Nistelrooy had a similar thing. Again, going back to that example, he played one more season and then Ferguson pushed him out, and their younger players stepped up. So I feel like one more season of Zlatan magic could be perfect for this United team in its transition of being a pretty much being from a Ferguson side to a Mourinho side. All that stuff in between. You know, it was up and down, left and right. No, There was no clear goal. And I feel if you keep Zlatan one more year, these younger players will blossom and then they'll be ready. Then Zlatan gets forced out. Mourinho slams the door. It's a great soap opera and it'll be perfect. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Manchester United then, League Cup winners. Um, Southampton, somewhat unfortunate, I think, yeah, to an extent. Um, but congratulations to Man United. Just Gabby Gabbiadini. Gabbiadini. So clinical. Decent, so eh? clinical. Like if you're thinking top four or top six sides, Liverpool could do with with Gabbiadini. Um, Spurs could do maybe as a as a rotation option for Kane. Arsenal, Gabbiadini at Arsenal. It's weird how these players that don't sort of get they're not first team. You know, he moved from Sampdoria to to Napoli and wasn't first team. You know, signed to in a way. I think it was signed this the summer before or the, the January before Higuain left, but in a way he was kind of an Higuain replacement, didn't make it there, comes over to the Premier League and just fits in instantly. And it's weird how other sides haven't seen Gabbiadini and been like, okay, right, this lad's actually pretty nifty in the box. We need a striker, a penalty box striker. Let's go and get him. Maybe this summer. Under the radar. A lot of the big Premier League clubs apparently do their scouting in the league itself. You know, could be on the move next summer. Remains to be seen. Um, let's talk Tottenham. Tottenham 4, Stoke nil. Sensational performance uh, in that first half, especially uh, Stoke as bad as Spurs were good though. I think it's fair to say it's the third consecutive four 0 defeat at the hands of Mauricio Pochettino's side. Uh, so not good for Mark Hughes' side. But Harry Kane, the main man in this one, a third hat trick in nine games. Uh, he's now the joint top scorer in the Premier League, which I think, considering he was out for seven weeks uh, from September, 
is uh, is some feat. A second goal as well, fantastic goal on his weaker foot. That volley into the bottom hand, uh, left-hand corner was superb. And he's on his way to 20 Premier League goals in three seasons. Only Alan Shearer, Thierry Henry, Ruud van Nistelrooy have done that previously. Still some question marks seemingly over Harry Kane though, Chris. I mean, some calling him a tap-in merchant, you know. He only scores penalties. Uh, some people saying Michel Pochettino claiming he's uh, you know one of the best strikers in the world. Would you go along with that? I mean, he's still only 23 years old. I th- I th- never I personally don't understand that um, that rationale that he's yeah. tapping. I mean, I don't contest that he scores goals from close range, but that that somehow diminishes his ability. Um, I, I think look, there are strikers like Andy Johnson many years ago who, yes, a good portion of their goals were penalties. Um, I think something like half of his were or something ridiculous like that. But I think you know the, you're right. The same criticism is leveled of Shearer. They're, they're not as easy to score penalties as you think. Yes, to, to us watching, it probably looks dead simple. But again, it doesn't change the fact that you step up in the pressurised moment and you hit the penalty. So, no, I, I think he's a fantastic striker. I think he makes Spurs tick. And I think if you took any of those top six sides and said 30 million, 40 million, 50 million, and you can have a player like him who's come through your academy, who ticks all those boxes, 60 I think minimum. it would all snap your hands off. Well, no, I'm not even talking buying him. I'm yeah, maybe even sixty, sixty million. Because he is to the thing is, it's so funny to digress just briefly. We talk about how much a player is worth and all this kind of thing. What we never seem to say is how much is that player worth to the club that they're at. So it was the case with Jermaine Defoe in, in January. People say, well, of course, they're betting six million. He's thirty-four. That's not the point. He's worth so much more to Sunderland. In the same way that Harry Kane, as a homegrown, academy-reared player who is the face of that club at this point. I think he is anyway. I don't think there's a another player that comes close to having that association, the whole, he's one of our own, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. He is the perfect player. And in that sense, if you're talking about the first £100 million player, it's probably not Deli Ali, it's probably Harry Kane. Because if I'm Daniel Levy, or Daniel Levy, excuse me, I don't think I want to get rid of Harry Kane for less than £100 million because it leaves such a massive void that you've got to fill, fill on the pitch but then also you've got to fill that sort of the emotional void as well because the yeah. fans adore him. They don't even care that he used to play for Arsenal. No, that's well, how much they love him. <laughs> I don't. But, yeah. but do you know what I mean? He has I, I don't think he's. That's the thing. He's not going anywhere soon. Um, you know, and as you say, he fills that that perfect role both off the pitch, as you say, with that emotional attachment and on the pitch. I mean, we saw when we were out him for that seven weeks, he was injured. How much Spurs struggled, uh, and when Vincent Janssen got his 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 chance in the side. Um, you do have to spare a fourth from though. They, Pochettino seems to only bring him on in those final minutes, uh, only only when the game is won. You know, it doesn't give him much of a chance. But when Harry Kane's performing as he is and is so central to the team, you can't blame Pochettino really. Touchwood, no more injuries for Harry Kane this season. Um, uh, both Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen asked to come off as a precaution in the game against Stoke. Um, Vertonghen feeling his hamstring, hopefully only a precaution though, um, because that could seriously damage Spurs' top four chances. Along with Kane, they are two of the most important players for Spurs. Um, speaking of one of our own Harry Kane though, Chris, you actually watched some of the, the potential next generation for Spurs this evening, didn't you? Yeah, the FA Youth Cup, uh, the semi-finals between Newcastle and Spurs. So I went over to St James's Park where they were playing it with um, David Cartledge, who's a, a good friend and a, a journalist from these parts who was was visiting. 
Um, and it was a good game. Finished 5-3. Uh, it, it maybe wasn't as close as, as that scoreline might suggest. I think Spurs maybe took their foot off the pedal a little bit needlessly. Um, but there, there was some some genuine talent in that Spurs team. Um, I, I have to confess, I don't think anyone in the Newcastle team will go that far. There was no one that really sort of grabbed me and, and made me think, well, OK, this kid's got some talent. But in Keenan, I think it's Keenan Bennett's, um, who was playing on one wing and then Samuel Shoshoa, who was on the other. I, again, I'm probably going to hang myself out to dry here a little bit. Shoshoa, to me, looks a little bit small, if I'm honest, a little bit slight. I don't know how he handles the, the physical aspect of first-team football, but I'll be very surprised if Bennett isn't playing some kind of top-league football at some stage in his career. Um, he's I th- I Just reading up on him when I got home, I think he's... Three different nationalities, Nigerian, German, and English. So there's a chance that, again, he could could go to the Bundesliga or whatever. But just the way he carries himself. I did a, a piece. Um, I'm making a habit of digressing tonight, sorry. But I did a piece with, with Marcus uh, Rashford's youth coach this week. And, and I asked Argument. him how you kind of spot. <laughs> I've got it. It's the only way to pay the bills. Um, but I asked him how you spot players at a young age, sort of pre-teen. And he said, well, if they carry themselves like a footballer, that's usually a good sign. And and I sort of applied that to, to Bennett tonight. And from even just before kickoff, there was just this awe about him, this kind of gut instinct inside me that was like, yeah, he feels like a pro. He feels like a first team player I'm watching right now. So you never know. These things are, are always um, intricate and detailed and, and lots of moving parts. So so who knows? But yeah, I was very impressed with him. He's got a beautiful goal after three minutes. Um just cut inside and, and absolutely flashed it past the goalkeeper. He had to come off injured not terribly long after, but from what I saw, I'd be surprised if he's he's not there. I mean, you've got Marcus Edwards as well, so there's a fair few Spurs youngsters that, that seem to have some potential. Keenan Bennett's. Remember the name, guys. You heard it here first from Gris Hanich. Um Let's move on. Elsewhere in the Premier League this weekend, uh, West Brom beating Bournemouth 2-1 at home. A fourth straight defeat for Bournemouth, though. Lawrence, uh, Eddie Howe's side now only four points above the drop zone with Leicester now seemingly resurgent after tonight's win. Palace as well with three points under their belt this weekend. Are we worrying for Eddie Howe's team? Uh, No, uh, because Eddie Howe's team is Eddie Howe's team. I think part of it is that in their first season, you could class them as an overachieving side. I think part of the issue is uh, and maybe if, if it had been another manager, if it wasn't a young English manager, maybe a lot of people have faith in, people would be saying that he had similar problems to some other guys. But he seems an innovative young manager who can still turn things around. I think a lot of people, it, in many ways, there are comparisons between what Eddie Howe is going through now and uh, Ranieri because um, it, he doesn't really have a long-term history that people can hark back to and sort of use to beat him. Um, and so there's that fresh sort of anticipation and optimism surrounding this team still. And you, I think a lot of Bournemouth fans like to believe that there is a sense of um, optimism. It all went wrong but, when they surrendered yeah. that, that, that leader to Arsenal. They haven't won since. Um, which, is un- which is unusual because actually you'd again describe that as sort of overachieving in a sense. Mm, but, you know, mentally to recover from that two draws and five defeats since then. I think it's going to be 
I think it's going to be tight towards the end of the season. They've got Manchester United next. Um, then they're playing West Ham and a big game at home against Swansea after that. I think that could be the sort of game where, you know, we see whether Bournemouth are going to truly get sucked into this relegation. But I think them and Middlesbrough are going to be, uh, are going to be running it close. Uh, Leicester and Swansea look like they're, they could potentially hit a bit of form now, could potentially pick up some points. <sighs> Bournemouth, um, not looking too good, not looking too good. Pulis and West Brom, on the other hand, though, Chris, um, things are coming up Millhouse for them. They've never, Pulis has never hit the magic 40 points before April. Now he's done it in February. It's the fastest he's ever hit that target. Uh, West Brom on course now to break the 49 points Premier League record uh, under Steve Clark. I believe that was achieved. This is peak Pulis, isn't it, Chris? <sighs> They're not terribly different to previous seasons. They're scoring a lot of goals from set pieces. Um, I believe Dave made this point um, on the Slash Football live stream that Gareth McCauley is the highest scoring defender in the league at the minute. So I don't think that um, his methods have changed. I know people like Lexi Lalas and um, and others really advocate set pieces as a as a method to score goals. Ted Knutson of, of Brentford is another one, or formerly of Brentford, excuse me, is another one that talks about its influence. Um, so yeah, it. it it is a surprise and it isn't because in, in some respects early in the season, I thought West Brom were quite good. And Nasser Chadley was sort of the the piano player they always needed, if you know what I mean. And yeah, I don't feel as if he's been as influential in getting them up the table. I think they've just been, been very regimented in what they've done. Haven't lost too many players to injury from what I can see. So again, a lot of things coming together for them. I'll be curious to see how he does next season. Because if there's one thing I can say about um, Tony Pulis is I'm not convinced he knows how to spend money very well. He did it, and I used to get pelters for this, but he, he did that a lot at Stoke. He wasted a lot of money. I think he had about 98 million across four seasons. And there was like 24, 25 different players, very few of whom were still at the club. So again, maybe it's a little bit different at, at West Brom. I know or at least I believe they have a very talented director of football involved, so maybe things are different there. Um, but yes, I will be curious to see what happens with them next season as much as I am in the next sort of 10, 12 games. Mm. Chelsea, meanwhile, stretching their lead at the top of the Premier League table to 11 points after victory over a tough Swansea City side at Stamford Bridge, Dave. Cesc uh, Fabregas opening the scoring to mark his 300th Premier League appearance, uh, perhaps showing why he could be an important player in the running as they march towards the title uh, upon being restored to the team ahead of Nemanja Matic. I think tactically is, is a different element of the Chelsea team. If you think about you know Matic physical, um, Fabregas can in fact unlock the door like we've seen, but he can also score goals. He's a very good runner from central midfield in an attacking sense, maybe not in a defensive sense, but going forward he's very, very good. And it gives Chelsea another way to set up and to beat sides. And I think we'll, we'll see... Um, come you know towards this end of the season when teams show a bit of grit and determination and and realise how to maybe unlock this Chelsea three four three, uh, we'll see a bit more of Cesc Fabregas in an attacking sense uh, against Swansea. They're playing quite well. Um, I've been so impressed by them. What was quite interesting about the game as well is that there was a, I think it might have been the first game ever where every single goal was scored by a Spanish player over a certain amount of goals. Yeah, Fabregas that scored <laughs> in, then in the Premier League. Ever. Uh, yeah, in the, in the Premier League. Yeah. Costa. So, so I mean, uh, many Spanish players have achieved this before, but just in other <laughs> leagues. Yeah, just in the league. But no, it's a good, very good result for Chelsea. 
Um, and credit to Conte making the right change at the right time. Chelsea um, march on then. Everton bringing, Chelsea, bringing him into the starting lineup. There you go. Uh, Chelsea marching on then. Everton marching on as well, Lawrence. Uh, extending their unbeaten run to nine games with a 2 0 win over bottom of the table. Sunderland now only six points off the top four, uh, five behind Liverpool. Uh, the heat is on in many ways. Um, goals for Adrissa Gay and Romelu Lukaku, though. Uh, the big news coming out of this game Lukaku has apparently signed a new contract at Everton, Lawrence. Uh, Mina Royale saying the deal is 99.9999999999% done. Which seems pretty certain. And what's your cut of that? 99.99. No, surely that's huge for Everton, Lawrence. This is a player who, you know, a few weeks ago was tweeting about how great it would be to play in the Champions League and how it's the competition that makes players. This is a big deal for them, no? Uh, well, I mean, it's a clever tweet. It's not like we've not seen this sort of thing from Mino or one of his uh, disciples uh, before. Uh, I think he he sort of drops all these hints and likes to rile things up, likes to rile people up. He realises the end game of what he's doing. And ultimately, it's about how you make people feel rather than what you do in that time. Um, and I think he realises that, uh, you know, ultimately the fans will sort of be on Lukaku's side when he scores all these goals. Kuman will be grateful to have him in the side and make him feel like he's a great manager in the Premier League. Um, and I think it's a very continental way, which, which by that I mean very sort of heart-driven um, and at times sort of almost Catholic lust after some of these uh, contracts that people go for. <laughs> he is. Uh, the weird thing is, you understand exactly what I mean by that. I do indeed. Um, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong as well. Lukaku is now the top scorer in Everton's history in the league, I assume. It's the past Duncan Ferguson. Yes. It, it was nice it's to see him after the game give. He, what does that say? I, I don't know what I, I don't know what to make of it, but it was nice to see Lukaku give Ferguson. Uh, plaudits after the game uh, for you know for improving him in training as a player. <laughs> yeah, sorry, mate. <laughs> I've done it in no time at all. But he sort of credited Duncan Ferguson for his improvement as a player, saying he you know he has matured at Everton, and maybe that's why he signed a contract there to continue his improvement. Um, elsewhere this weekend, Hull missed the opportunity to climb out the bottom three for the first time since Marco Silva joined the club in January. They were held to a one-all draw by Burnley. Sean Dyche's side still without an away win this season while West Ham earned themselves a draw uh, against Watford, a one-all draw. Andre Ayew scoring the second-half equaliser for the Hammers. Right, that is not much Premier League action this weekend, but we've wrapped it up there for you, as well as the League Cup. Let's go to Germany and hear from journalist Ross Dunbar, who's going to give us an update on all the goings-on. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. In Germany. So we're joined now by Ross Dunbar, Bundesliga correspondent for Fox. Ross, welcome to the front free. Thanks for inviting me on, Adam. Thanks for coming. We're here to talk Bundesliga of course, uh, to give us an update on the title race and how the top four is shaping up. The man this weekend taking the headlines, though, Robert Lewandowski, a uh, hat-trick for the Polish striker in an 8-0 win uh, over Hamburg. Uh, another miserable day for Hamburg in Munich, Ross. Yeah, you know it's a sad day when you have to uh, have the number written out as words in the video printer, and that's what it was like <laughs> for Hamburg on, on Saturday. And their record in Munich has just been absolutely horrendous. They've conceded 36 goals in the last six visits before this weekend. So now we're up to, what, 40, 44 in the last seven visits to Munich, which is quite incredible. Um, but this was actually a really impressive performance from Bayern Munich because Hamburg in the last few games have actually played really, really well. With their four games unbeaten, they beat Leipzig, for example, and they beat Leverkusen. So um, going into this game against Bayern, um, this was a side that could have caused them some problems. They were really strong defensively and Bayern Munich just kind of cut them open time after time again. And it, it, although Lewandowski took a lot of the headlines for scoring a hat-trick, it was actually Thomas Muller who was probably the most impressive player. And it's quite interesting that in the last 18 months or so, Thomas Muller has really dropped off in terms of his goal-scoring exploits and also his all-round performances. But he was involved in four of the goals. Um, he, he, he won the penalty as well in the first half. And I think it's really interesting to see if this... Um, this kind of performance, we'll see him back in contention for the Arsenal game because, as we've seen in big Champions League games this year under Ancelotti, um, the Italian hasn't been really too scared about keeping him on the bench because Bayern at their best are probably without Müller at the moment. I mean, in terms of speaking of Bayern at their best, we've obviously seen them hammer Hamburg this weekend in the Bundesliga. Pretty convincing against Arsenal in Europe with their 5-1 win as well just over a week ago. Are they starting to hit gear under Ancelotti now because there was talk at the start of the season that they weren't really playing to their full potential? Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think it's interesting to see. I mean, it's hard really to, to give a definitive answer because... And the reason that Ancelotti was brought in was to to win the Champions League. Um, you know, it was quite it was quite common that at this point in the season, Guardiola's teams would run out of gas. Um, and I think there's probably some method to that that he was so intense in training that by this point in the season, the players were just totally overwhelmed. And okay, they would normally win the league by March or April, but they would all, they would then drop some points and kind of meaningless games and then going to the Champions League and they'd look quite rusty. And they obviously they've lost in the last three semi-finals, so. I think it's really hard to to say whether Bayern are on track or not right now. I mean, they could easily go and win the game against... Obviously, they are going to go through against Arsenal, so there's there's not really much to say about that. But going into the next round, if they were to come up against, you know, a PSG or even Real Madrid in in their current form, I mean, it's, it's hard to know whether this Bayern team could weather that kind of storm because they are still a little bit rusty. I think that that has to be said. I think the team... Um, I think the team certainly lacks a little bit of energy in some positions. Um, some positions, I think they've got guys like David Alaba, for example, and Thomas Muller, who just look completely exhausted. And I'm interested to see how that works out going into the end of the season. I mean, I think Bayern will probably go and win the league anyway for the fifth consecutive year. But right now, it's it's the jury's kind of out. The jury's kind of out on Ancelotti. I mean, if you ask me this in May, then I could probably give you a good answer. Right now... I think Bayern are shaping up quite well. They've not peaked, they've not underperformed, but they are just kind of plodding along nicely. 
and then the big test will be obviously when they come into the next round when they'll probably get one of the one of the best teams in Europe. It is looking like a, a fifth consecutive title for Bayern Munich, of course. Borussia Dortmund, far behind in the title race. They are 13 points adrift at Munich, despite a 3-0 win over Freiburg. Uh, it was also a 100th Bundesliga win for Thomas Tuchel as well, uh, a milestone that means consecutive weeks in the top three for the first time since October for Dortmund. But overall, it's been an underwhelming title challenge this season, hasn't it, Ross? Yeah, it has been. I mean, it's, again, it's a hard one to really to really work out because certainly for our, our generation anyway, we've always we've always linked Borussia Dortmund with being a really successful team. I mean, in the last seven years, they've always been at the forefront of every big competition. And um, for Thomas Tuchel, it's a bit weird because his first season was phenomenal. I mean, Borussia Dortmund uh, had their records points total last season. They were the best runners-up in Bundesliga history. But because Bayern were so good, they couldn't win the league. And now going into his second season, he's obviously lost... Hummels, Mkhitaryan, Gundogan, basically the spine of his team, and he's having to rebuild. So there needs to be a little bit of patience, I think, with Dortmund. Um, I agree with you, they have probably been quite underwhelming. I think there's been a lot of games this year, even against kind of mid-table, lower-half Bundesliga teams, where they've really struggled. Um, especially teams that really are quite aggressive and are quite compact. They've found it hard to break these teams down. Um, but they've also had some really good performances against Leipzig, for example, at home. Uh, Thomas Tuchel said it was a one nil win, wrap, uh, sorry, a four nil win wrapped up as a one nil result, um, and I think you kind of saw a similar performance against Freiburg. I thought they were absolutely brilliant, really, really good performance. Guys like Dembele and Royce and Aubameyang are really clicking together, and it's really interesting to see how they how they they finish this season, especially in the Champions League, because I think Dortmund fans would be quite happy to finish third. Or, Probably certainly in the top four anyway to to get to qualify for next season. But if they can go through to the next round of the Champions League, I think they've got a decent chance. They're a little outsider. They've got a lot of quality, um, and I think that will be a big focus of their attention in the next couple of weeks. The three 0 win over Freiburg this weekend, then keeping Dortmund in that third spot. Two goals for Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, lifting him up to 19 goals level with Robert Lewandowski on top of the scoring charts in the Bundesliga. The scoring opened though by Usman Dembele Ross, a young player who's really impressing this season. Yeah, he's, he's a phenomenal talent. Um, the one downside, though, is he's very, very fragile. Um, he hasn't really developed physically yet, and it's quite, a, it's quite a demanding role for him in this team because the Bundesliga is a really physical league. And if you know if this guy is underdeveloped physically, then it's going to lead to a lot of injuries, and he's missed a lot of games this year. I mean, the perfect example actually was in the cup game against Hertha Berlin. It went to extra time, and Usman Dembele came off basically for 15 minutes, to, to lie under a blanket and get a massage and come back on again. So he's clearly not in a position where he can play full games, but his talent is just incredible. I mean, I don't think I've seen a player who can dance by players the way he does. It's it's really remarkable. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's going to go on and become one of the best players, I think, of our generation, probably, if he, if he certainly if he stays at Dortmund. Um, I don't think there's any talk of him going anywhere in the next couple of years, but... Um, certainly if Dortmund go through in the Champions League it's a great platform for him to perhaps come up against you know, one of the top teams and, and really show what he's capable of mm, Dortmund then 13 points adrift of Munich as I said they're still 8 points adrift of second place Leipzig as well they're back on track back to back wins for them after 2 defeats in a row their ninth home win of the season a 3-1 win over Cologne Ross yeah the Leipzig Leipzig tailed off um, at, the, at the beginning of the, of the new year largely because 
there was a bit of flu going around the squad, so you saw that basically the whole spine of the team was was left out of the game against Borussia Dortmund. Timo Werner was missing, Diego Deme was missing in midfield, Sabitzer was missing. So when you take all those players out, and of course Forsberg was suspended for three games, when you take all these players out of of any team in, in European football, never mind Leipzig, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bit of a problem to maintain the kind of pressing system that they try to apply every game. But now that they've got back to winning ways, I'm, I'm really interested to see how this title race pans out. I know that there's five points in it, but Leipzig are really consistent. And that's one thing that, um, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to Ralf Hasen, who told the head coach for. They are performing to the same intensity every single game. And they just look so explosive and attack. Timo Werner up at 13 goals this season, I think. And I think it would be very hard to imagine anybody other than possibly Bayern or Borussia Dortmund. Oh, they don't play, so they're not even playing Dortmund again, but up against Bayern Munich. Um, it'll be hard to imagine any team taking points off them from now until the end of the season. Rounding out the top four then are Hoffenheim after a hard-earned one-all draw away to Schalke. How are Julian Nagelsmann's side shaping up two-thirds of the way into this season, Ross? Would you put money on a top four finish and Champions League qualification for Hoffenheim at this stage? I think they've got a really good chance. I mean, I think it's interesting to see who will be the most consistent out of Hoffenheim, Frankfurt, Hertha Berlin, and then possibly the likes of Schalke or Leverkusen or Gladbach perhaps coming up behind them. But the one thing about Hoffenheim is that it's not a fluke. Nagelsmann is a terrific coach, and if you look at the way Hoffenheim play, they don't have a team of world beaters, but they have a really flexible system, and they adapt every single game. So, for example, this weekend, they end up playing one of their centre-halves as a right wing-back so that they could get him into the box, basically trying to play the diagonal cross from the left-hand side across to the opposite side so that he would be... Um, kind of outpowering the, the, the opposition left fullback. So they do this every single game. They'll be picking on weaknesses of the opposition and they'll adapt their team to suit that. And I think what Nagelsmann's done in 18 months um, involved in the, in the first team has been really, really impressive. And um, Hoffenheim certainly on paper is not a Champions League team, but you know with Frankfurt struggling, with Hertha dropping off, I would probably put my money on Hoffenheim. Yeah, I think I think they're a consistent team. Um, they've got to play Bayern at home uh, in the next couple of weeks, which will be a really good test to see where they are. And mm. um, they drew with them in the Allianz Arena, so that was quite impressive. But how they maybe, maybe they could try and go for the full three points at home. But um, right now it's looking like they'll finish they'll finish fourth. And again, I think I think Nagelsmann deserves a huge amount of credit for that. Whether they can hold on to him after this season remains to be seen. <laughs> well, there might be a vacancy at Arsenal this summer. Um, I can see that being a good fit. That remains to be seen, though. For now, though, Ross, thank you for joining us on the front free. Where can the listeners find more of you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at, at RossDunbar93. That's probably where you can get all my content, all my nonsense tweets and stuff like that. So, yeah, probably best to go there. Thanks to Ross Dunbar. Good old um, Ross. Great stuff there. I forgot to mention, or at the time I hadn't seen, uh, Mario Goetzer. I didn't mention this one. Have you heard this one? Yeah, this is weird, isn't it? Goetzer has been ruled out for the time being because of metabolic disturbances, Brucey Dorman have announced. Um, <laughs> I, I mean... We should get some sort of doctor on just to we, like, what? what is that? Do we have any... Inform- I, I looked this up on my phone. And it can relate to things like diabetes and things like that. Um, I mean, he has the important, also quite a round little face. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, at least I hope that's not how it works. Sensibly um, handled. Otherwise, I'm in for a shock. Um, but there are players that do play with diabetes, or 
uh, Jordan Morris of Seattle Sounders is a type 1 diabetic. Obviously, there are two types of, of diabetes, type 1, which is genetic, and type 2, which is, um, I think, caused through things like diet and lifestyle. Dietary, yeah. I did just write a piece about it, actually, for 442 this month that's in this oh, month's issue. Oh, did you know? Diet and lifestyle, Chris. About how you can, what, type 2? Uh, what, diet and, diet and lifestyle type 2? No, I wrote about uh, how you can play football with... Um, diabetes um, oh, really no, okay no one wants my lifestyle or diet um <laughs> but yeah it's it's it can relate to that it can be other things the the key takeaway i i had from reading about it and it was again a very superficial read is that it's genetic it's not um anything that's that's relating necessarily to to something he's done or, or whatever so it's a tough one it, it reminds me slightly of um, the condition that Darren Fletcher had. I'm sure Dave will know what I'm talking about here, but he had a. Sure, it wasn't that I, almost like IBS sort of thing. I yeah, believe it was a really aggressive IBS, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a very unique uh, illness. I mean, when, when, when I say when I, when I say he's always had a little round face, I mean he's always looked quite cherubic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's always that's, looked like that's definitely what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't really calling him. I don't think he's fat. Moving swiftly on, uh, I'm, I'm, shall I'm, I we? No, I didn't say you were, Lawrence. I never said I that. You implied that. I thought he was a little bit. I implied nothing, Lawrence. Just or just before we move on, it is is potentially an, a medical issue that affects his diet. That means he'll put he'll put weight on without trying. Well, that's what I. You're, you're <laughs> a bad guy, you. McKenna. That's you're genuine. A terrible guy. <laughs> genuinely, I, I I've had conversations with people in the past where uh, where people have uh, where what I'm alluding to is that basically they've said that he has had trouble keeping his weight down, and I think he he has always. Uh, I don't think he's publicly uh, acknowledged it, but I do think there are people within the game who have always said that he he's had he's had trouble with it. I'm not saying I don't mean it in a diggy way. I just mean it in a sort of it is. It is. It's not something that's sort of been private for very long. I think. I think it's just something that's been recently acknowledged by Borussia Dortmund, or recently discovered. Yeah. Well, recently, recently dealt with possibly because I remember in his uh, Bayern Munich days, there were a lot of people who were taking digs at him because they thought that he was overweight, and that's what I was alluding to. So it, it could be. It could be IBS, like Chris is saying. It could be. It's a, basically a medical term that covers a lot of. Uh, bowel related illnesses so it could be IBS which would be again debilitating for debilitatingly horrible having known Lawrence you know you're going to have to pray to Jesus tonight you're going straight to hell Lawrence along with the uh, Leicester City squad apparently why I was I'm alluding to what journalists have said in the past about it (laughs) straight down the church Lawrence after we stop recording I don't think church is ever you have to say 10 Hail Marys I think is what it is Um, don't get him torn up let's talk about france guys first off wow what a weekend in league uh, all of the top four winning the classic uh wasn't so classic uh, marseille vpsg turned out to be a bit of strolling the park for the champions 5-1 it finished in the end uh psg well, showcasing sure, some of that beautiful flowing football they showed us against barcelona uh showing maybe they're hitting their peak right now, just in time as the running approaches. Uh, goals for Marquinhos, Cavani with a delightful little chip. Lucas as well. Draxler amongst the goals after coming on as a sub. And Matuidi with a great finish as well. Monaco, however, 
remain three points above them, three points clear at the top of the table. A 2-1 win for them. A green goal. Uh, Falcao off penalty duties he was off the bench uh, Fabinho with a dirty Penenga absolutely filthy uh, back on penalty duty he secured all three points uh, as they go top Nice as well winning as well um, it was Mikel Lebihan coming off the bench to score twice hasn't played since September 2015 but he came off the bench with his team 1-0 down scored two fantastic finishes uh, the super sub uh, they created a lot of chances Nice so they deserve to win I think it's fair to say. Uh, Leon, meanwhile, cementing fourth place with a 5 0 thrashing of Mets. Uh, Memphis Depay, Dave, if you can believe it, was the star of the show. Two goals, no. one assist, uh, essentially, for an own goal. Uh, another for Alexandra Lacazette as well, who netted his 22nd goal of the season in Ligue 1. Superb finish. Uh, and Valbuena with a filthy chip outside of the area to add a fifth, add the icing on the, uh, on the French fancy, if you will. Uh, Lawrence, why don't you talk to us about what happened in Spain this weekend? Uh, to the uh, cuento, great. Um, so, where do you even <laughs> want to start, Adam? Uh, you can start, say, top of the table, Ooh. where Real Madrid almost found themselves not. They had to come down back from 2-0 down against Villarreal. Uh, mainly led by uh, their front three, great podcast, um, which, which consisted of Bale, Ronaldo and Benzema. Uh, Benzema bundling the ball in and Bale ultimately leading the line and uh, cutting through. I was all, you know what? So something that goes very often under uh, appreciated or, or often maybe overappreciated and therefore underappreciated now is the uh, contribution of Marcelo in this team, especially in, uh, in La Liga, where I think he gets a lot more joy um, and a lot of people uh, don't really acknowledge that he almost plays like a sort of a right winger at times against sides where they basically just pin them back. Um, however, that may have also led at times to some uh, defensive issues, should we say, uh, and one or two of their centre-backs slightly exposed. At times, Pepe uh, not looking as graceful as he normally looks. Anyway, they, they ultimately came back. Uh, Atletico Madrid, uh, very close to taking uh, Barcelona out yet again, but Barcelona uh, battled back and through all this politics. Anyone else? I uh, want to take a bet on whether we're going to see the manager lead this season. He's gone. Mm, end of the season. Shame, really. And then you wonder who's going to replace him. Ronald Koeman, mate. Koeman? Sampaoli! <laughs> oh, no, it will be. Venga? You're right. Sampaoli. He wants to... Ronaldinho! He's obsessed with managing Messi, apparently. Sampaoli. Um, Is he? Yeah, so I can see it. I can see it coming in. I can see that. Do you not think that was part of the problem Jack. with? Uh, do, do you not think that was part of the problem with Luis Enrique? That people seem to have accused him of over managing Messi in the sense that the, they feel when he's not in the side, a lot of people uh, think they're not. They're almost blunted. Yes, but you got about to Messi when he's digging him out of situations like this. Got him the three points they, again. They didn't get him involved. I think that was a big thing. Something that I, I looked on right the, place, right time, mate. On the Statman Dave Football Podcast, it was quite interesting how. The, the Barcelona, if you look at the passes completed between players, the top pass completion was MTT to PK. The second one was PK to MTT. The third one was MTT to Mattia. And the fourth one was actually Mattia to Neymar. There was no use of their central midfield from centre-back. And then there was no link between the centre-back and Lionel Messi. And that was a massive issue. Lionel Messi is not in these games. The thinking about the game against PSG was just absolutely anonymous. And this is another game where he's anonymous. And I feel like structurally there's a big issue at Barcelona where it's not going through the same channels. It's not going uh, PK to Busquets to, to uh, Messi. That happens so much 
when Barcelona were in full flight, when they were ripping teams apart, there's a real tactical issue there that Enrique either needs to solve or he gets the boot. Because at the moment, they look so flat. They look so, so flat in central midfield. And I don't even think it's who's in there. I don't even think like putting Rafinha in there, I didn't even think had a great game. Again, you look at his pass map. He completed two passes in the final third. For a Barcelona central midfielder, that's pathetic. But in terms of the the shape, the, the issues, it, it's a bit more, I think it's systematic. And it's, it's a bit weird. It's just a bit strange how they, they're going to Neymar over going to the greatest player that's ever lived. It's an unusual one. Anyway, um, yeah, no, it isn't unusual, but it is unusual. Uh, a lot of people are very unhappy, apparently, at Barcelona. Although Barcelona, apparently, having lived there for a, a couple of years, have been looking uh, on the rocks for quite some time. I, I can probably say the same uh, when I was there, the reliance on the front three. Great podcast. Anyway, um, Sevilla catching them up, though. Sevilla find themselves on 52 points, just three behind Real Madrid and just one behind Barcelona, uh, having beaten Real Betis away from home 2-1 on the weekend. Um, Sevilla now finding themselves still somehow in the title race, unusually, or maybe usually by this point. Um, anyone else want to sort of hazard a guess? As to where they'll finish this season, do you think they can finish above Barcelona, maybe a Real Madrid? Nah, no way. Still Two goals race in this league. Why not? I think the the those two teams are just elite, and I think you saw with how Zidane changed the game, brought Isco on, brought Morata on. You got two elite players there. Sevilla, although Sampoli has won more points than any other manager through his substitutes, I just don't know if they've got the same quality off the bench. To, to sustain a title challenge. I think they're going to be up there. I think they'll finish third. They'll they'll be ahead of Atletico Madrid, but they, they won't be top two. Yeah. Um, that's that's it, Adam. We, we've, we've rounded up the top of the table there. Did you see the controversy over the Real Madrid win? Um, I did want to mention that because Which I thought it was quite Adam? funny. Uh, the Villarreal president coming out, not happy after the game, Fernando Riogi. He, he was fuming. He said, that he saw the referee and his assistants leave the ground with Real Madrid bags. Conspiracy? Ah, God, that is... You know? Um, eh? I mean... It was a controversial it, penalty, you know? What, what, do you think they was were it handball? Was money? it not handball? PK didn't think it was handball. They left their bloody Villarreal bags, <laughs> Yeah, they were, just, they, just, they were just using some spares. PK wasn't happy though, Lawrence. You know? He's claiming conspiracy. He's got his tinfoil out on, mate. He thinks it's all gone balmy. Well, PK is going to jump on the back of anything to try and undermine a Real Madrid team, mm. isn't he? Sergio um, Ramos came out with a, a, an interesting put-down after the game. He said, it would have surprised me if Messi had put this on Twitter. Uh, we all know how PK is. <sighs> you know, Ooh. Shots fired, etc. Politics, politics, politics. Any politics, politics this weekend, Dave, in Serie A? Or was it all good, clean, footballing fun? Well, there was actually a little bit of politics. Who is going to finish second place in Italy? Who's going to be the, <sighs> the, the second candidate politics. for the title? And there was a battle in Milan on uh, Sunday evening, Inter Milan versus Roma. And it was pretty much the Nangalan show, uh, to put it in, in, in some words. You know, scored an absolute cracking first goal, drifting in from the left wing, a uh, brilliant curling shot into the, the sort of roof of the net. Then his second goal was something of beauty, pretty much dribbled from inside his own half. And then canning another shot in. And again, Nangalan being the difference between these, these two sides that set up in a similar system, both playing a 3-4-3, both uh, you know, playing quite well. Icardi grabbing a, a late consolation 
for Inter Milan. But it, it's an interesting transitional time for both Inter and Roma with their new managers, Spalletti and uh, Pioli, coming in. So it's a, it's, it's a good, good Serie A for next season, I'd say. But Juve, champions-elect, probably much already won the, uh, the Serie A title, in fact. Moved a little bit away from their 4-2-3 they've been playing recently, set up in a 4-4-2. Storaro came in uh, for the ball there and was put to, to the left-hand side. But it's all about the fullbacks. I think, at the moment for um, Juventus. They're getting a lot of good work out of the likes of Dani Alves and uh, his uh, compatriot on the other-hand side, Alexandro, who, again, got on the goal sheet. But it's a lot of width from those wide areas. Um, and Quadrado having a better game than he did midweek against um, Porto, putting a cracking ball for Mario Mandzukic's first, but a 2-0 win against Nem- uh, against Empoli. Uh, moving on to other action in uh, Syria, Napoli uh, took a surprise defeat at home to to Atalanta, who they missed a lot of big chances. Napoli, they you know their goal scoring has got to get a bit bit better with uh, Milik coming back from injury. They, that should massively improve. Obviously, Dries Mertens has been the the goal scorer, but had a bit of an off day. Um, against Atalanta, but some also some some inspired goalkeeping. Talking of inspired goalkeeping, Donnarumma in the AC Milan goal again, um, not making the penalty save, but you know being that physical, the the big lump to score a penalty pass, and obviously Sassuolo missing the penalty and AC Milan scoring those uh, their penalty with uh, Carlos Bacca scoring his ninth goal of the season. So pretty much uh, that's game over for for Syria. Uh, Juve have won it, and um, mm. Roma and Inter are going to be competing next season. Well, I think. Yes, I think so. Finally, going to have an actual title challenge. Where's Allegri? Where would Allegri? Where's Allegri going to go? He's taking Wenger's job. Barcelona. There was rumours this week that he's been taking Spanish lessons, Lawrence. Ooh, China. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All signs point to to China. China. (laughs) You learn Portuguese (laughs) if you want to go to China, mate. They're all the Brazilians. (laughs) Yeah, all the agents are there, mate. Um, Finally, let's finish with Player of the week guys um speaking of roma disappointment on twitter dave that we didn't actually nominate rajad nine some saying mm, you know he's an absolute shoe in um yeah there's an oversight on bias. our part we, we can only nominate free players from you lads we can only nominate free players guys it's a very tough decision that we have That's to make four. uh well I've, you know i'm just trying can to make five. excuses lawrence uh guys the nominees this week <clears throat> robert Lewandowski in third place with 20 percent of the vote after his hat-trick uh, against Hamburg. Uh, only 20%. Disappointing. Even more disappointing, Harry Kane, with only 27% of the vote, uh, despite his hat-trick heroics. Oh. Unbelievably, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, with 53% of the votes, is this week's Player of the Week. Congratulations to Zlatan. Uh, Ferrero Rocher with your name on it. Mate, we'll get that sent out to you as soon as we can but that brings an end to this week's podcast guys thank you so much for listening hope you had as much fun listening as we did recording it uh, until thursday when we'll be back with a q a as always chris hennage where can people find you and what can you plug that people should be uh, should be reading this week uh you can find me at k-h-e-n-e-a-g-e we have an interview with paul mcginnis the youth coach behind marcus rashford Paul Pogba and all those others, and we talk about Rashford specifically. If you pick up 442, there's an article on the back of there that I wrote on playing football with diabetes. So if any of our listeners are diabetic, maybe you can pick up some tips through that. Other than that, uh, we should have something, I think, going out with the front three, perhaps. So I will tease that video 
just like that. Ooh la la. Dave, where can people find more of you and your face? Don't know. I might not be on the internet this week without a laptop, Adam. Laptop's pretty important. It is pretty important. Retired. Yeah. retired from the internet. Game over. Go back to reading books and stuff. Like books on my table at the moment. One's called Mastery. One is called Leading oh, for Sir Alex Ferguson autobiography. And in the bottom, book. I have FC Barcelona, a tactical analysis, defending, and uh, FC Barcelona, a tactical analysis, attacking. Do you like anything that's not football, Dave? Mm, nah. No books about, I don't know. Uh... Mastery, Adam, in fact, is a book about uh, mastering oneself. Wow. It's about human psychology. It's quite interesting. And stats. No, not and in a football stats, no. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Anything no. that's not stats-based? No, not about. really, mate. Interesting. Looked like it for a, a second there, didn't it? <laughs> there was a glimmer of hope, but um, it was quickly extinguished by what, Who wrote the, the Barcelona ones? How curious. Um, a friend of the show who's come on before and talked about his books, but I'm going to kill his name. He's got a Greek name. Uh, Terias. It was an absolute... Anthanalasos. Yeah, very difficult to say. Um seen any films you like recently Dave seen any of the Oscar films no actual ridge mate cracker decent mate decent shout uh, I saw the founder oh what's that about did it, it make you about... hungry for McDonald's maybe the opposite Adam oh, um, it's one of them is it I've walked past at least five McDonald's since and not gone in once uh, apart from the founder uh, <laughs> as a recommendation Lawrence uh, what yeah. can you recommend of your own work of your own content if you will this week not much is going out there right now i think a lot of it is behind the scenes work for other people so i'll just recommend everyone else's stuff on the podcast um yeah go go look at dave's podcast i I suppose i'm sort of helping with dave's podcast edit that um we're trying to make it bang um so if you could go to itunes and subscribe you'd really be helping us out guys go and make it bang write reviews as well because we love reviews actually that would actually really help. And I'll get yeah. Lawrence to read them read them out in a... I'll get Lawrence to do my accent, read them out. Or Jeff and Lawrence, you in? Can't you just, Dave, can't you get Statman Steve to do that? Oh, it's a fair point. I could call my pal in, in uh, America. I forgot about him. <laughs> There's a lot, man. Get him on the blower. Um, not to confuse the message, but guys, if you want to leave the front free a review as well, I don't want to ask too much of you, but if you do leave us a review, you will be in for chance of being whole of the week, common of the week on Thursday's podcast. So if you do want that. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market prestigious honor do get your reviews in until thursday guys enjoy your week and we'll see you then